Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. My name is David Hurtado. If you're new to us, welcome. I'm so glad you are here. I'll be hanging out afterwards, so if you don't, aren't shy type person, come up and say hello. I'd love to meet you. We're going to dive right in. Uh, we're coming to the end of our series in the book of Galatians. We call it Galatia because uh, it's to the churches, written to the churches, about four or five different churches in the southern region of Galatia. Uh, we call it the Galatian church that Paul planted, and that's why we're there. But before we jump into that, I want to just share, I remember when I was, you know, about 14, 15 years old, every kid at that phase of life starts thinking about what? Girls. <laughs> That's awesome. doesn't start at 14 or 15 years old. It starts when you're like seven. But anyway. <laughs> No, no, you're thinking about driving. You're thinking about driving, and you're thinking about, man, it, it comes a time at 16 years old, I can get my driver's license, I can pass my test, and I can drive a car, and I can get freedom, and I can have freedom in my first time in my life. I can go to the store. I can go to, you know, In-N-Out Burgers with my friends. I can drive. I get some freedom. I remember that stage, 14, 15 years old. I'm starting to prepare my mother for, for you know, uh, this desire of mine to, to drive a car and to be on my own and have this freedom. And so I I'm, I'm kind of letting her know that, you know, that I would like to do it. I'm kind of hinting around at it and whatnot because I don't know if the rules are still the same today, but back then you had to take uh, driver's training when you're like 15 years old if you're going to get your license when you're 16. Is that still the way it is today? And so, uh, and, and driver's training costs money, and I didn't have any money. So, Mom, I'm going to need her for that. Mom, please, uh, you know, I, I want to convince you that, that I deserve to, to be able to do this. Of course, my mom took the attitude of, well, yeah, if you want to drive, sure, you can drive. Why not? Go ahead and drive. But you need to get a job because you have to pay for a car, you have to pay for the gas, you pay for your own insurance. You're going to have to pay for that driver's training because I'm not paying for that. And you're going to have to, extra money you're going to need. So when you meet your friends at In-N-Out Burger, somebody's going to have to buy you the burger. And I, now I look back on that as very good parenting. But at the time, I was completely demoralized. Like, Mom! Really? Come on, I'm such a good kid. There was the, I've told you guys before, there was the Hurtado trifecta in our family. There was three things, three moral qualities that every Hurtado must live by, and that was don't join a gang, don't do drugs, and don't get a girl pregnant. And I would say, Mom, but I mean, I, I, I did the Hurtado trifecta. I, I am not in a gang. I don't do drugs. I didn't get a girl pregnant. So I'm a good kid. Mom, I deserve this. I deserve to be able to drive a car and to be free and express myself in my adulthoodness. And I deserve this. And my mom would go, oh, deserve? Huh? Deserve. Oh, David, don't stop there. You deserve a limousine. You, you deserve your own plane, David. You deserve your own cruise liner, David Hurtado cruise liner. You deserve much more than that. Don't stop there, David. You deserve more. And then she would go from that, and she'd go into, like, uh, you know, uh, Lilia Hurtado safety and driving training classes. Let me tell you what it means to be a good driver, David, you know, <laughs> in her little accent. And she put, your hands are at 10 and 2. And she goes, look, David, I'm looking at that mirror, that mirror, and that mirror. All the time, all three mirrors, all three. That one, that one, that one. I go, that's great, Mom, but you're about to hit the car in front of you. You know, and she, you have to be thinking about how far is the car behind me is, how many car links, how many car links are the person in front of me, and the car's on the side. I'm always looking around, David. I'm always looking around, you know. And she goes through this whole thing, and, and basically I didn't get my license until I was 18 years old. <laughs> it's how that, how that, and now my kids, none of them are getting their license. They're 18 because it was good enough for me. It's good enough for them, right? You know, it's a, you know. And, and what she was trying to share, what was her point in that whole thing? It's kind of my point as well. And that is this, that, that, that while you may desire a specific title in this illustration, it would be the title of California licensed driver. While you desire that certain title, 
you may not understand the fullness of the responsibility that comes with that title. Do you realize, David, that when, you're, when, you, when you set out to do those things, you now have to be responsible for everybody in your car and the safety of every individual in your car. Not only the people in your car, but the safety of the, 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 the car driving to your right and to your left. And at the intersection, there's a lot of responsibility that goes with that. The responsibility of car ownership and insurance and gas and responsibility. All you may desire the title, but do you understand the responsibility behind the title? You may desire this one thing, but do you, do, you, do you understand the responsibility behind that one thing? And that's kind of what I wanted to share because today we're going to look at the responsibility that comes with being named a child of God. That, that, that yes, I have this title of the son of God or a child of God or a Christian, a believer, a follower of Christ, but there's some responsibilities that come with that too. That behind that title, there's some things that, that are expected of me in the process. And we're going to dive into that today. What are the responsibilities that come with being named a child of God? How, how burdenous is it to, to me? And, and what am I signing up for? Or what did I sign myself up for? Maybe you're here and you're kind of considering this whole thing and this worldview. What would I be signing up for, Pastor, if I signed up for this? How burdenous is this of me? What am I responsible for and what is my part uh, who must I help and how am I benefited in this partnership with God? And we're going to be diving into that and we're going to be in the book, book of Galatians. So I encourage you to open it now. We're in the last chapter of Galatians, chapter 6. So this week and next week and we will end our series uh, in Galatia. Uh, but we're looking at verses 1 through 10 today in chapter 6. So I encourage you to open up your Bibles there. Get, get there, open your phones up and get there so you can highlight and take notes on and whatnot. But before we jump in, I'm going to do a little bit of a summarization of the entire book thus far of Galatians. Because I think it's important to see what Paul is doing throughout the book, all right? So we talked a little earlier already. We, we, it, it, Paul writes this letter to the churches that he established in probably the southern region of Galatia, probably four or five different cities that have these little house churches, so to speak, and they make up the, the church of Galatia, the, 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 the church, the Christian church in the region of southern Galatia. And he's writing them uh, specifically because they're coming upon some challenges. Now, you might remember at the very beginning, I shared this with you. There is something going on in that church that is not happening throughout the world. And that is this, that there are both Jewish converts to Christianity and Gentile converts to Christianity meeting together. Now that is just unheard of in first century times. Not only are they meeting together, communing together, they're acting like family. They're acting like brothers and sisters. They're eating. Just the, the idea that you could get these two entities to eat together because they have such different dietary, uh, ceremonial dietary plans. They, all these, their, 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 their paganism had a certain way that they would eat, and that was anti-Jewish ways of eating. How did they eat together? They obviously were crossing over in the different types of food they were eating, which is unheard of in first century times. And so they're hanging out together, praying with each other, living life together, and, and they're communing together, and you can't see that in any place in the world. It was very unique to that church. Now, we know that there was this extreme Jewish sect that kind of infiltrated the ranks of the church, and they were trying to uh, you know, covertly convince everybody that they have to become Jewish. And so all your Gentile converts, they came to Christianity, that's great, but they're going to have to become Jewish, they're going to have to be circumcised, and they're going to have to live by the Mosaic law. And so chapter after chapter after chapter in the book of Galatians, you saw Paul fight back on that idea that you cannot achieve a credibility with God by living by a list of guidelines, 
That it's impossible as this God is set apart and 100% holy and we doing just one thing wrong are already down here undeserving of him. It's impossible logically to think to yourself, well, if I do this list of guidelines, then all of a sudden I become perfect like God. It doesn't happen. And so he goes over and over for several chapters saying that's not possible. If you're living by a list of guidelines, I'm going to weigh out my do's and my don'ts. And hopefully that, that means that I, one day I, I reach this God who is unachievable, but I, maybe one day I can achieve it. It doesn't make logical sense. And so he goes back and forth and they start talking about this law of Moses because you had these Judaizers or this extreme Jewish sect that would say, we follow the law of Moses. Well, there's 600 commands in the Old Testament. You obviously do not follow them. Paul would say, you're obviously not following all of them. And once you haven't done one of them, you realize you don't deserve this God. And so he's going through and he's saying, you don't live life through a list of rights and wrongs in order so you can achieve somehow and, and by my own works achieve the status where God will accept me. It will not happen. And so he went through that over and over and over again, even saying in, in Galatians chapter 3, the law was written not that you would follow it, but that you would understand that you cannot possibly follow it and that you need a substitute. So why did God write the law if we weren't supposed to follow it? I'll tell you why he wrote the law. He wrote it so we would realize, whoa, God is extremely set apart. He's holy. His standard is so high I could never achieve it on my own. And therefore, I need another solution to this problem. And that solution is Jesus Christ. And so then he starts laying the foundation. Jesus Christ alone, grace of God alone. He will supply to you perfection that you could never get on your own. And so I look to him. And he becomes perfection for me rather than me trying to achieve a perfection that I can never do on my own. So that is what we call legalism. This idea that there's a list of guidelines that if I follow these guidelines, all of a sudden I'm achieve, I, I, I've, I've risen to the point where I can achieve perfection with God. Impossible logically, we call it legalism. In and of myself, I'll never achieve the perfection of God. I need it to be given to me in Jesus Christ. Now, the last section of the book, he starts dealing with license. License is the idea, well, you can just hear the question, all right, fine, Paul, if we're not going to follow the do's and don'ts of the Old Testament, if we're not going to follow the Mosaic Covenant, if we're not going to follow these rights and wrongs, then why does anybody live morally? And we started talking about this last week. If you missed that, I encourage you to go back online and watch it. Uh, but the reason we live morally now is because the Spirit of God is now living inside of us, that God is taking residence in our body, and he is producing a changed life in us. That with God living inside of us, there's a new motivation to do what's right. Not because I'm scared of what I, what I haven't done or I'm scared that God's going to punish me. No, no, no. I desire to live for God because God is living inside of me and I want to do right. So, whereas Paul says we don't agree with legalism because we can't achieve a status with God unless he gives it to us, we also don't go to an area of license where I can do whatever I want to do in my life because God gives me grace. No, God's living inside of me transforming me from the inside out. And he is producing in me the fruits of the Spirit. That when I'm living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, we talked about this last week, it's going to change how I live life. It's going to flush out in my life because I'm walking according to the Spirit. And today, we're going to continue on that path to say, what does it look like to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit? Not in the flesh, but live in the Spirit. So, overarching question of the day will be this. It'll be on the screen for you. It says, what responsibilities come with the endeavor to live in the Spirit? 
What additional responsibilities come? Not because I'm trying to measure up to this God and try to prove that I'm good enough. No, 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 no. What, as I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God is living inside of me, what all of a sudden comes out of me because of that? And so we're going to look at that. What responsibilities come, out, come with the endeavor of, to live in the Spirit? And the first thing we're going to see is the responsibility to carry burdens. The responsibility to carry burdens. Let's look at this in verses 1 through 5. It says this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, another way of saying that was you who are in the spirit or walking in the spirit. We just talked about that last week, right? You who are spiritual or walking in the spirit should what? Restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, or examine his own work is the idea there. And then his reason to boast will be for himself alone and not in his neighbor. We'll talk about what that means in a second. For each one should bear, should bear his own load. What responsibilities come with the endeavor to live in the spirit? Number one, the responsibility of carrying each other's burdens. He says, if anybody is caught in a sin, a transgression or a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him. It's the idea that there's a spiritual intervention that happens. I have a brother who's, who, you know, we were walking down this path together. He deviated. Somehow he was, uh, quote, unquote, caught in a sin. The idea there is to be surprised, to be overwhelmed, to be overcome. Like I was living, it was an unexpected thing. Like I was living, I was going in the right direction. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, boom, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overcome by sin. I'm seized by it. I'm, I'm arrested by it. Uh, this is not a, a, a habitual thing in life. It's like I was going in this direction, and some out-of-character moment I made a big mistake. And when that happens, we as believers are not to shun people who are in that situation, not to make them feel bad and squish them and push them down and make them feel horrible. No, 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 no. Our responsibility, in fact, it's an imperative, is to restore him with a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch over ourselves lest we be tempted Restore the person. The idea behind restore, actually it's the same, it's the same verbal idea that you'd use of a doctor who would, who would set a bone. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had a child who got a broken bone. It's kind of like this. And the, and the doctor says, you know, we're going to have to take the bone and we're going to set it straight like this so it'll heal correctly. And this is going to hurt. It's going to, for this short period of time, it's going to hurt real bad. But if you'll let me set it, it'll heal correctly and you'll be able to live a normal life. But it's going to hurt right now when we set the bone. And what he's saying is, you as a believer in Jesus Christ, you come into the community of God, we run towards each other when we're in the mess. We don't run away from each other. We run towards the mess. And then we say, in this situation, it's not going to feel good, it's not going to be great, it's not going to be wonderful, but we're going to set the bone and then we're going to walk together and move forward on this. Same verbal idea, another illustration of the way this word is used is, is a fisherman mending his nets. And so I take my net and I throw it out there, and after a long day of fishing, all the, the knots get torn, all there's holes, there's bigger holes, and now the fish can go out the holes. And so if I don't fix the net and men make new knots, the next time I throw the net out, it's not going to work. I'm going to lose fish. And so the idea is I'm going to mend the net together. I'm going to restore the net so it's productive and fruitful next time I go fishing. We as believers have a responsibility towards each other in the midst of the difficult times when, when a sin comes out of left field, and, and I, didn't realize I, would, I didn't realize I was so susceptible to it, I fell. What will you do with me now? 
I'm at my most vulnerable and transparent place. I'm caught. What will you do? Do you shun me? Do you look the other way? Or do you come and embrace me and restore me to move forward again? According to Paul, our responsibility is to restore. It's to restore. Have you ever had the attitude in your heart? Maybe you can finish the phrase with me. Well, he got himself into that mess. He's going to have to. Mm. And yet, that's not what the scriptures say. He got himself in that mess. And we come alongside. And we come together and we walk him out of that mess. And there's going to be a day where I need to be walked out of the mess too. And he's going to be there for me just like I was there for him. But we are a family of brothers and sisters. And we don't leave each other when we're down low. We don't leave them high and dry. No, we go and we say, let's go. Let's dust our feet off. Let's get clean. And let's keep on walking towards Jesus. That is the call of restoration. And he says you need to do this gently. You don't do this with a haughty spirit. You don't do this with a condemning spirit. You don't do this with a judgmental spirit. You bear one another's burdens. And so in doing so, you fulfill the law of Christ. You do it. Gently, and then you do it smartly as well. Watching out for yourself that you not, might not be tempted as well. Let, let me put it this way. So I have, let's say I have a brother. I know he's at the bar tonight, and he's, and he's, and he's, and he's, he's, he's throwing some back. All right. Uh, I also know that I have had, had an issue in the past. It's not true of me, but I'm just letting you know. Let's just say I also know that I've had a history in the past of drinking. I may not be the one that needs to go to the bar. I need to be smart in that situation. I want the brother to be restored. Uh, there's other ways I can be involved. I can call another friend. You go over there. I don't need to be in that environment because that's my environment too. But he needs help. Let's get him help. I'm not the one. I got to be smart about this. I don't want myself to fall in the midst of trying to help somebody else. You who are spiritual, you're walking in the spirit. Restore him with a spirit of gentleness but keeping watch over yourself lest you too be tempted and so I'm going to walk towards this, run towards this. There's other ways, but i got to make sure that I don't fall. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. There's a, there's a famous ministry out there where these ladies, these former dancers, these, um, uh, the type of dancing that you don't ever want your daughter to dance like, okay? And that, and to go to an establishment that you don't want ever your daughter to be at or your son to be at, okay? That kind of place, right? And, and there's this ministry where these former dancers go in and they pay for a lap dance. And they pay for the lap dance and they say, okay, we paid for it, so we have you for the next half an hour. We'd like to tell you about Jesus Christ. You ever heard of that ministry? Yeah, very famous ministry out there. They've done like 2020 on it. They, they have, they've done some TV shows on it and whatnot. And, and I think that's a wonderful ministry. They're going, we're going to pay. We're earning your ear. We're going to tell you about Jesus Christ. I was where you're at. You could be where I am at. Beautiful ministry. But I don't think there's ever a day in my life that I should participate in it. I don't think I should be the one to go in there. Hey, I'm going to pay for the labs because I want to tell you about Jesus. I'm just telling you, uh, there might be some other side effect problems with that. All right? Now, someone else... You know, a woman, okay, maybe that, 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 that's safe for them. It's not going to be safe. Be smart about when you're trying to help somebody, that you don't get yourself in trouble at the same time. So, yes, there's this principle that when our believing brother or sister is falling in the faith or they've done something, we go and we run towards them. We're going to walk with you. But at the same time, we're going to be smart. We're going to be smart. I mean, for me, in the pastorate, it's been, you know, it's been many times over the years where I have had females who want to come in and share their lives. And I went, well, okay, we've got to put boundaries up. We've got to put boundaries up. I, I want to be able to help. I want to pastor. I, want, I believe I know a lot of scriptures. I can, but I can't be in these rooms alone. And so now, if any female wants to meet with me alone, you have to be willing to meet with me and my, and my assistant. 
That's just the way it works. And if that doesn't work for you, then, then God's got another plan for you to get help, but I'm not going to be alone. Whatever it is, we want to help each other run towards the mess, but you've got to be smart. You've got to be smart in the process as well. He says, bear with one another's burdens, and so doing, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, we've got to unpack that a little bit because you've got you to remember that they're, they're, when they think of law, they think of law of Moses. That's, what they're, that's their whole mindset, law of Moses. Law of Moses, do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts. And that's what motivates us is the law of Moses and being condemned. And, and not only that, but being haughty towards each other. Well, I, um, I follow the law of Moses to this degree. How, how good do you follow the law of Moses? I literally, there'd be this kind of idea. The law of Moses says that you, you're not supposed to light a fire on the Sabbath day. Okay, so you don't light a fire on the Sabbath day. But I won't even go in an elevator because when you press the button in the elevator, it causes a spark. So if it's a Sabbath day, I take the stairs. You know why? Because I'm holier than you. That's the haughty spirit that he's talking about here. And he's saying, you got to relieve yourself of that haughty spirit. You can't think of yourself as being more impressive than you are. If anyone thinks he's something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. You see that? You won't be able to run and help somebody who's in trouble if you think you're better than everybody. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his brother. What does that mean? Well, if I'm comparing myself to you, and I feel pretty elevated when I compare myself to you, I'm not going to be available. I'm too haughty. I'm too proud in that situation. And I'm always comparing myself. That the way I value myself is by minimizing you. Well, you're just a petty Christian, and so I'm up here as a... I'm never going to have a spirit to help somebody if I have that haughty spirit. You've got to get rid of all that. Really, the spirit is, you know what? Uh, but for the grace of God, there go I. I have the same amount of sin nature as everybody else in the room. I could fall as easily as anybody else in the room. I may have different temptations than other people in the room, but I am prone to fall just like everybody else in the room. When I have that spirit, I can say, you know what, I can help somebody when they're in trouble because it was, I've, I've never thought of myself as that elevated anyway. I've come in a humble way and say, you know what, I can meet you there. But if you think, higher, uh, higher, if you think of yourself in a higher view than you ought, then you're going to struggle because you'll never have the realization that says, I could go there myself. You won't be able to deal with that situation Gently, that holier than thou mentality has got to go. It's got to go if we're going to embrace this idea of trying to help somebody. Secondly, if you're constantly comparing yourself to others as a self validation, then you'll find a struggle with trying to help people because the very fact that you're in that mess is what validates me. That's what makes me look good. So, why would I want to help you? So, clearly, that's where you belong and makes me feel good. Versus, no, 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 I'm not comparing myself to anybody in the room. In fact, anything that I have in my life that's been done, that's been fruitful or more, don't give the credit to me. Give the credit to God who's living through me. That's what it means to be living in the spirit, that God is producing these things inside of me. And so when, because I know that I didn't do these things and God is doing it through me, I can help you in your lowest place. I won't leave you there. I'll be there when you come in and, you get, and you're pregnant and you can't hide it. And the guy ran off because he didn't want that and you thought you were in love and you're not married. We'll be there with you. We'll walk with you. I'll be there with you at the hospital when in a fleeting moment you lost your mind and attempted something you should have never 